Okay. So you lost an hour's sleep last night, okay? I'm well aware of that, folks. And so I figured that we better talk about something today that would hold your attention and keep you on the edge of your seat. Have I got a story for you today? I am, I'm just always amazed as to God's timing and God's planning. We are in the middle of a study of the book of the Revelation called Game Over. And the final score is. And today we land on chapter 13. And I don't think it's by any coincidence that that's where we're at. If this chapter doesn't keep you on the edge of your seat then either you need a new seat with a new edge or you better figure out what's wrong with you. Okay, I don't care if you're a little bit tired today. This chapter is an attention grabber. It's filled with amazing things. I mean, this chapter has beasts. It has a dragon. It's got counterfeit miracle powers. It's got conspiracy theories all over it. And the focal point of of what I call the most revelation speculation the whole book the most the 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 most pointed spot where there's been more speculation about what is that what does that mean the focal point of this book is in this chapter the dreaded mark of the beast and we're going to talk about that today okay before we go there let me very quickly give you a a review, a super fast review of where we've just been. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are called the Book of Signs. As I said last week, that doesn't mean that the Revelation was written and then somebody inserted those three chapters later. It's called the Book of Signs because the whole book is filled with signs and symbols, right, as we've been learning. But those three chapters have what's known as great signs in them. In the Greek, they're actually called great signs. So the the signs and symbolism are heightened in those three chapters. Chapter 12, as we talked about last week, was a look back over the panorama of history. Okay, and it's a historical review of of the spiritual warfare, the spiritual conflict, spiritual battle, whatever word you want to use going on between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. God's kingdom, the devil's kingdom. Chapter 13 that we're going to look at today is a more detailed, specific look at the devil's warfare tactics against God's people. Now, in this chapter... There's that thing that we've talked about called prophetic telescoping. Remember, that's as if John stands here and it's almost like he's got a telescope and he looks out into the future and there'll be this event represented by a mountain peak. And then 100, 200, 500 years later, there'll be this event. And then way down at the end of time, there'll be this other event. And when John has this vision, he can't tell the amount of time and distance between these things. So they all kind of sandwich together. And as is the miracle of the word of God, something can be talking about three things, four things, five things, all at the same time and have application and meaning for several things at once. So that's what's going on in this chapter. There's some things that I think talk about what was happening as John wrote this letter all the way up to things that will be happening just before Jesus comes back. So we are going to do our best today, God willing, to make some sense out of this very mysterious chapters. As has been our pattern in the past, uh, we have someone come and read for us. We stand as we read and honor the word of God. Jill Hummel is going to be our reader today. So Jill, why don't you make your way up here, please? And we're going to read this chapter in two sections, okay? Jill's going to read verses 1 through 10. After we talk about that, she'll come back and read verses 11 through 18. So if you'd stand as she reads this first part of the chapter for us. Thank you, honey. And he stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast." And they worshipped the dragon, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? 
And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance in the faith of the saints. Thank you. Amen. You can have a seat. So once you sit down, I want you to go like this. Everybody, go like this. You know what that means? You have ears, which means, as the Bible says, if you have ears, let him hear. So pay close attention today. All right. Why? Because this chapter probably has caused more confusion on the one hand, but at the same time has caused more angst and more fear in the body of Christ than any chapter in this whole book. Do you need to be afraid? Well, two people don't need to be afraid. How about the rest of you? Do you need to be afraid? No. Okay. You're going you're gonna to see some things in this chapter while we see this picture of, oh my goodness. You're going to see this overarching theme throughout that says God is still in control. God is still sovereign. It's all happening for a reason and a purpose. Let me give you a little background reminder and some context provider before we dig in verse by verse. We're still in the section of the book that's called the interlude. We are between the blowing of the seventh trumpet that was in chapter 11 and the outpouring of the seven bowls of judgment, God's judgment that will happen in chapter 16. When the seventh trumpet sounded in chapter 11, I think it was verse 15 or 16, um, it says that it brings us to to the last days of this present age when and where the mystery of God would be revealed. The mystery of God is a revelation of his age-old plan and purpose from the beginning of time to accomplish two things. The salvation of the righteous, his, his own, his children, and the judgment of the unredeemed, the rebellious, those who would not come to faith in Christ. At that point in time, this plan will finally, completely, once and for all, be fulfilled. Remember also, as we're working our way through this part of the book, that time is not like we know time. In this portion of the Revelation, it's not this sequential, linear, this happens, then that happens, then that happens. Time is all scrunched together, and rather than it being sequential, it's almost like there's a lot of simultaneous overlap. So do not get hung up with, now, did that happen, and then that, or was it that first, or then? That's not the issue. It's big picture. Remember, it's like painting on a canvas. You paint here a while, then you paint over there and you paint here. And the goal is the final big picture that we see. A couple of things I want you to get, though. When we come to time and its ending, three things stand out very clearly to us. First of all, we're going to read and see and learn about the outpouring of divine judgment in chapter 16 when we get there. We'll also see the judgment of rebellious Babylon, not so much a specific city and place as a world system, chapter 17 and 18. And then finally, what we're going to talk about today, the final increased persecution of believers. Now, before we talk about that today, I want to remind you ahead of time, Satan has already ultimately been defeated on the cross and in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What we're going to talk about today is his last ditch effort, his final effort to afflict warfare and harm in as many different ways as possible against the saints of God before the end finally comes once and for all, okay? But you are going to see clearly today, not why God allows this. As I said last week, the answer to that is, I don't know. We don't know. We don't know why exactly God allows this, but it is indeed something that God permits. And we have to come to a place of saying, I don't get all this, but I absolutely believe it's a part of God's sovereign plan. And his sovereign plan is a good plan. Amen. So we got to hang on to that because it gets a little crazy in this portion of, of scripture. 
The first beast in chapter 13 is the Antichrist. Many scholars believe that this chapter in the Revelation, chapter 13, all the way through chapter 16, is a mirror image of Daniel chapter 7. So you might want to write in your Bible at the top of chapter 13 or on your uh, bulletin notes that we gave you, just write Daniel 7. You might want to go home and and compare those and read those and go, oh, yeah, I see how this is talking about. Well, that was mentioned over here. Write that one down, okay? Because I think there is a mirror. If the mirror is correct, and I think it is, this is Daniel's last week of the 70 weeks that he talks about. And a week isn't seven days. It's a symbol of seven years. And so this seems to mirror the last seven years, the period seven years prior to Christ's return. Go study that one on your own. The last thing for context that I want to say to you, and I I just so wrestled with with having enough time to do everything that's in my heart to do. And there's just not enough time, okay? So I'm going to just gloss over this a little bit and give you some highlights. I also want you to write down either in your Bible, probably in your Bible especially, but also on the back of the bulletin, 2 Thessalonians, just put T-H-E-S-S, that's good enough, chapter 2. Because it's as if, Chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians can be laid over this chapter with amazing similarities. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 was written by, by the Apostle Paul in response to the church at Thessalonica, thinking that the end had come, that Jesus had already returned, and here they still were. Sort of like when I walked in here this morning, I thought the rapture had occurred because there were so few people in first service. Thank God it was daylight savings time, so I didn't have to worry. Plus, my theology is good enough that I know I'm going when everybody goes, so I wasn't left behind. And neither are you, okay? We're all right. But these people wondered, and so Paul said, no, wait, 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 wait. Here's some things that have to happen before Jesus comes again. So lay that over what we're going to talk about today, and you'll be amazed as to how this picture starts to develop more and more. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about this apostasy that has to come before Jesus comes again. And it's talking about a falling away. Apostasy means falling away. And it happens in two phases. It's doctrinal right belief that people start to drift further and further away from the truth of Scripture. (laughs) See that going on anywhere in the, the church today? Not here, thank God, but there's a lot of the church that's happening. But another meaning of that word apostasy, falling away, is the word rebellion. And it's talking more of a governmental system that rebels against the ways of God. Now, I don't want to get too political this morning, but if you pay any attention to what's going on in the world, you see that happening more and more. Thessalonians talks about this man of lawlessness, this son of destruction. That's the Antichrist, who we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Jesus calls him the abomination of desolation in Mark chapter 14. Uh, He's standing in the temple, Jesus says. Well, you'll see how that plays out when we look at chapter 13 here in a little more detail. Um, Some scholars think Antichrist is just a spirit. I think it's a spirit, but I also think there will be a specific person who comes onto the world stage here as we look at today. Thessalonians also talks about a restrainer who is in place to keep this at bay until the restrainer is finally taken out of the way. I think that speaks to a day when the Holy Spirit not totally is removed from the world, but in terms of restraining the Antichrist spirit, which we, by the way, see active already in the world. There's precursor to all this that's been going on for thousands of years. But there's a day coming when the Holy Spirit will be lifted in that specific area and the work of the Antichrist And the beast, the other beast, the false prophet, will be magnified greatly. Just go read that on your own. I just wish there were time to read it to you and give you a lot more detail. There's not. Just make yourself a note. i got to go read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right. Let's jump in verse by verse. It starts with these words. And he stood on the sand of the seashore. Now, that's how chapter 13 starts. But here's how chapter 12, verse 17, the last chapter, verse 12, ends. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. When John wrote this book, there was not chapter divisions. There weren't even verse divisions, okay? And so there's some wonder when it talks about, so who is this standing on the sand of the seashore? Is it talking about the beast or is it talking about the dragon? I personally believe that the he standing on the sand 
is the dragon. It's talking about the devil. Because in the context of this chapter, I think you'll see he's the great puppet master. He's the one pulling the strings on the first beast, the Antichrist, and also on the second beast, the the false prophet. So I think probably the, the way to read this would be like this. And he, the dragon, stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his head were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority." What I think is happening here, folks, is if you were here last week, if you weren't, go online. All these messages are online, okay? And you can listen to them and get caught up on something you missed. Or if it's your first week here, it may take you months. But you could go get caught up on what we've been talking about, all right? Anyhow, I think the message is, chapter 12 was the story of the devil trying to destroy Jesus and his Jewish lineage and Mary. And just to get rid of Christianity on the front end. And when that didn't work, and you know he's been trying that forever, don't you? When that didn't work, this is kind of like plan B ushered in in chapter 13 to try a new attack, a new battle plan. Now his attack is against the saints, the the children of God. And he, he has two separate entities that work in conjunction to try and bring about the demise of God's people, the saints, the kingdom of God, whatever you want to call it, these two beasts. It says the first beast comes up out of the sea. Now, I don't think that literally means that he shows up and comes out of the water with scuba gear and a mask and all that kind of thing. I think coming up out of the sea is an allusion to the fact that he will come up, he will rise up out of the great sea of unredeemed humanity. If you go to chapter 17, we're not going to go there, but it talks about this beast coming up from the many waters. I think it's that same kind of picture, and it's a, it's a global picture. Out of the unsaved nations and tribes and tongues, a world dictator will arise. Now, you've got to think about the scene on planet Earth at this point in the time from our study. There has been national chaos on every level, Right? Disasters, natural disasters, wars, rumors of wars, uh, the threat of, of a massive destructive war with Holocaust proportions. I mean, nuclear war. You've been paying attention to the Middle East lately? What seems to be this far under the surface from being right around the corner? Nuclear destruction. All right, you, you add to that the economies around the world on the verge of collapse. And if they say if this economy goes, then the dominoes will start. And pretty soon this could be worldwide catastrophe. The conclusion to all this looking at the world is the world saying, oh my, we need a savior. But they're not looking to Jesus coming back in the clouds. What are they looking to? They're looking to somebody on this earth because we're talking here about the dwellers of the earth, the unredeemed, unregenerate mankind who look at this chaos and calamity and go, help, somebody help us, save us from this evil, awful, well, they probably wouldn't call it evil, this awful mess that the world is in. And so the Antichrist just kind of goes, ta-da. You see how the stage is being set for the arrival of somebody like that? On planet Earth, I can bring peace. I can stabilize the, the, the economic mess and all the chaos. I can handle it. Oh, please, please do, please do. Well, there's a great cost to that, please do, they're going to look at here. The scripture says he has ten horns, seven heads, and ten diadems. I don't want to speculate too precisely on what all that means because I think it gets you into a leap of faith. And I also want to say this. If you spend all your time trying to figure out what are the horns, what are the diadems, what are the... And you get lost in trying to solve the puzzle instead of seeing the big picture. God's heart in this book for us, folks, is not to analyze and assign names and persons and timelines to everything going on. It's to see the bigger picture, to understand the times in which we live so we know how to respond 
Don't get yourself off on analyzing every little 10 and 7 and 3 and that's not the point. What I see here with this 10 horns, 7 heads, 10 diadems is a picture, a symbolic picture of the counterfeit power that this Antichrist will have. He will have the ability to conquer the world by what he promises. He, he, he will appear as one in complete and total and absolute control. And the dwellers of the earth will go, yes, just fix it. One interesting speculation that I will share with you, okay? There are some who have believed for a long, long time that the ten horns are a reference to the ten nations that make up the European Common Union. Now, when that thing got to be about 20, people went, well, that, that's not going to work anymore. Can't be that. But here's what I found out. And I, I couldn't find the email this week. I, I thought I had saved it in my computer. I don't know where it is. But I was talking with someone who's very much in the know as to what is happening on the worldwide scene in terms of global economy. And this person said to me through this email that there is a pretty clear understanding that in that European common union, there are two levels of nations. And that the top, the power players, the big dogs, guess how many of them there are? There's 10 of them. So I'm not saying that's what that is, but it's, it's all got great possibility. It, it surely could be that. All right, so this dragon who stands on the seashore and the beast that comes up out of the sea, it says that um, this thing has the 10 horns, the seven heads, the, the 10 diadems. You know, throughout history, people have thought throughout time, it's them. One of the early ones was it's the early emperors of Rome. There were seven key emperors and ah, it's talking about them. And you can go through history and see how people have gone, oh, it's them, it's them, it's them. And to this point, it hasn't been any of them yet. But you know why you can do that? Why you can say, oh, it looks like them, it looks like them, it looks like them. Because the devil does not know when the end is coming, does he? No. If you're confused about that, let me tell you on good authority. He doesn't know. So what he has to do is always have the players in his back pocket. For if the day is now, then I got to get these people on the scene so they can play their part. And so throughout history, he has had these, these antichrist figures and this, this false prophet figure in line. So if it's now the end, he can do his thing to get what he's after, which is worship of all mankind, of himself. Okay, so we don't get too hung up on was it them or was it them or was it them? There's a reason why they looked that way because that antichrist spirit is in the world. John said it was in the world back in the first century. It's still here. And this stage is still being set. This thing has blasphemous names on those heads. Claims of divinity. The divine right as the new Messiah, the new God. Second Thessalonians talks about that very thing. Again, this, this means of operation isn't new. It's been going on throughout history. The Roman emperors were thought to be who this was and several other leaders throughout the history of time. But it talks here about this beast being like a leopard, like a bear, and like a lion. Those refer back to the vision that Daniel had in Daniel chapter 7. And almost every scholar points to those three pictures that Daniel had as being very specific to specific kingdoms and emperors. Everyone, most everyone believes that the leopard represented Greece and the Greek empire, the bear, the Medo-Persians, and finally the lion, the Babylonians. And so the point of this conglomerate picture of this beast is it's symbolic of all the greatest dominating world powers rolled into one and combined into one that will be a superpower that literally will take over the world. That's the picture being painted here, okay? The dragon gave this beast his power, his throne, and great authority. Folks, that is a flip-flop of the intention God had for government. We're not going to read there, but Romans chapter 13 talks about the fact that God established government. And if the people and the nation are running as they're supposed to, government is a good thing and it's a blessing. Can government get off track? Can the wheels of government derail? Oh, yeah. 
Well, by this point in time, it is an absolute flip-flop from government being a blessing to God to government being the antithesis of God's purpose and plan. And that's what's happening here with this beast. Make no mistake, even though this is going to look political and governmental, at the root cause of all of it is the devil. Jesus said he's the ruler of this world and he's pulling the strings, okay? This power, this, this throne, this authority is political and military in its nature, nature as it appears on the surface. But the core is raw evil because it's demonically, it's devil inspired, and it's after more than world dominance. So what's it after? Let's keep reading. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast who is able to wage, who is able to wage war with him? Now, this is real cryptic. It's mystical in a lot of ways in terms of what it means. But this is not about government or politics. It is about one express purpose. Satan wants worship. Okay? So strip away all the other facades or all the other things to accomplish this. That's what he's after. This fatal wound that was healed, there's a lot of different opinions on this. Some believe that there will literally be one coming at the end of time that has a physical mortal wound that's healed. Could very well be that. Others think it's more symbolic and that it talks more about, like, like Rome. When the, when the Roman Empire first was encountered by Christianity, they tried to snuff it out, right? Who won? Christianity won. And it appeared that in Rome's attempt to kill Christianity, Christianity triumphed. Almost as if Rome, the empire, was the one that was killed. If that's what it means, it means that there's a day coming when that empire, not necessarily the Roman Empire, but that great empire will rise again out of what looked like death to life and to triumph over, looking like over the kingdom of God. Bottom line again, the beast, the Antichrist, is not after political power or world dominance. He's after worship. He wants to capture the hearts and loyalty of mankind away from God. Folks, nothing has ever changed throughout history. Isaiah 14 tells us this about the devil and his initial attempt, his initial intent, rather, as to what he was all about. This is speaking of Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. And here it is. I will make myself like the most high. It's what he's always been after. That's why he was kicked out of heaven. That's his mission here on earth. I want them to worship me. So behind everything else we see politically and and all that other stuff, that's what he's after. And yet he's subtle. He's not going to come out on the front end and say, hey, worship me. He's going to have all this other stuff around it so that it it looks more to be governmental and civic-minded and not overtly religious. The beast is like the front man for this thing, okay? But it all keeps pointing back to Satan and his desire to be worshipped. There was given him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authorities to, an authority to act for 42 months was given him. This is a terrible part of the story, but I want you to see in that scripture four times the word given is used. There was given to him, given to him. And what I haven't read yet, there are two givens underlined. I want to make this point before we go any further. The devil is the puppet master over the beast and over the false prophet. Does the devil have a puppet master? Yes, and it is God. Everything we read, no matter how awful, terrible, evil it looks, God is the one giving him this ability. Why? I don't know why. I wouldn't have done it that way. It's why I'm not God. (laughs) The first two there, there's possibility that it's the devil giving to God. The beast. But when you get down to those last two, the two that I underlined, it is absolutely the sovereignty of God that gives them that ability to do what they do. God has never lost, will never lose control of his sovereign plan, no matter how nasty it gets. Did you hear me? It's important to hang on to that, folks. 
So he starts with arrogant words and blasphemies. Those are more self-deification. They're not so much on the front end, just anti-God and anti-Christ. They're more about himself. 42 months is probably a reference to that point of mid-tribulation thinking as to how long this great tribulation will will last. But by verse 6, it gets a little nastier, okay? It says in verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God. So he moves from generic self-deification to really speaking against God, to blaspheming his name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. So he moves to become more, more uh, pointed and more intense. He's, he's against God. This thing that was overt and subtle suddenly starts taking on real focus. Have you seen the devil work that way before? He kind of starts real gentle and real easy. And the more ground he gains, the more obvious he becomes, the more overt he becomes in what he's all about. That's going to happen here, okay? He is going to be, he's going to call to loyalty. He's going to call people to loyalty and worship of himself against God, against God's name and against his tabernacle. I don't think that's referring to the temple that's going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. I think that's talking about Christians. He is going to become more overt in his attack against God's tabernacle. Ephesians 2 calls us the tabernacle of God. And the reason I think it's not a literal building, but it's us, is because of what it goes on to say. Against his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Remember all the bad people who are still around here? They're dwellers of the earth. This is in great contrast to that. This is going to come against those whose citizenship ultimately is in heaven. Now, I don't know if we'll be here or not, but whoever is still here, they're going to be the brunt of this thing, all right? Let me give you an example. And, and by this, I am making no, zero, no political statement. I'm just pointing out how this spirit, this attitude is already in the world today. Am I making a political statement? No. See, I was emphatic. You're, well, I don't know. Let me hear you first. I, I'm not. Okay, but this is in reference to Rick Perry, governor of Texas, who was at one time in the race for the Republican nomination. This is not to endorse him. This is to talk about what's going on out there in the world. Okay, months ago, he called a solemn prayer gathering in Houston for the express purposes of praying and fasting for our nation to ask God to give us wisdom to know what to do. He partic- it was his idea. Others planned it. He participated. So did a couple other governors. All they did was read scripture and pray. They didn't hand out, oh, by the way, here's my campaign promises. Vote for me. They took no offering, so there was nothing political to this, all right? Here's the response from a secular journalist. Prayer is quite literally the least one can do to help with the situation. Governor Perry has absolutely no idea how to resolve any issues. Therefore, we should all throw up our hands and beg an imaginary supernatural being to momentarily suspend the physical laws of the universe to solve our problems. We might as well sacrifice a goat. That's the spirit that is in our world today becoming more pointed and more blatant against this idea that you really believe there's a God in heaven who hears prayer? Was this about Rick Perry? Make sure you're clear. No, it's about the spirit that's at work in our world today, becoming more pointedly against the issue of faith. Wow. All right. So it was also given to him to make war with the saints, to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Two separate things going on there. Make war with the saints. Now, that's not a military war. It's a battle for faith and loyalty. Okay? Because remember how chapter 12 ended. Let me show you again. Chapter 12 ended with, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children. Who are her children? Here's how they're defined. Those who keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. This fight is going to be against people who want to be obedient to the word of God and who want to hold to faith in Jesus. That's the first area of attack. Okay? But he also is going to have authority over every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. That's the worldwide dominance piece. That's the the ungodly people who will say to him, please, take over, lead us. We need you to solve these problems. 
That's a historical pattern we've seen. We saw that, that effort for world dominance in the Roman Empire, ancient Babylon, Egypt, uh, Hitler, communist USSR. It's something that continues to try and play out. He's got this authority over those people. Next verses. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. If anyone has ear to hear, let him hear. See, all who dwell on the earth, not every person still on the planet, but that represents the people who are unregenerate, rebellious to God. They are all going to worship him. That's not predestination fatalism, like they have no choice. That's also not proof of a pre-tribulation rapture. Well, if everybody's still on the planet's going to worship him, there can't be any Christians left. I think it's a clear line given here of demarcation. There's going to be a whole group of people, dwellers of the earth, who worship him but not those whose names are written in the book. I think there's still going to be believers here who refuse to bow their knee. Notice this comment about names written in the book from the foundation of the world. It's another way to point back to God has had a plan from the beginning of time, and that plan has never changed. Don't get nervous. Don't worry. God's still in control. God himself assumes victory. But what if we die? Well, that only matters if you think this is all there is. This is a dot. Eternity is a line that goes on forever, remember? Next verse. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone killed with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints. John is saying to you and to me, if we're here, or whoever's here at this time, don't roll over and play dead. You don't go, well, you know, if I'm destined, I'm destined captivity or the sword. We are called to speak up and to speak the truth. That's who we still are in this world. But here's the point. You don't roll over and play dead. You stand up and speak the truth, but you have this kind of resolve in your heart. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar said, you bow down and worship this idol. We will not. You're going into the fiery furnace. Okay. Hey, and even if we die, we're not bowing our knee. That's the resolve whoever's still here at this point in time needs to have with regards to what's going on in this world. I will not bow my knee in worship to anyone but the Lord Jesus. This is the perseverance of the saints. That means you have to come to this resolve and conclusion. You trust God no matter what the circumstances look like. You understand that even if your faith costs you this life, this life is not what it's all about. It's a dot on the line that goes on forever called eternity. You see, this reminds me of Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 4. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. This is normal. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to the faithful creator in doing what's right. I'm going to do what's right. I don't care what anybody else does. And I trust Jesus to take care of me. Spare my life? Maybe not. Take me to heaven? Absolutely. Okay? Jill, come on back up here. We, we, uh, this next section goes a lot faster, so don't think we're going to be here till 4 o'clock. All right? <laughs> Quarter to 4 will be out for sure. <laughs> Kidding. Would you stand again, please? And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the science which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell, except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man. And his number is 666. Okay, thanks. Have a seat. 
All right. Here's a really important point to grasp. It's on the back of your bulletins. It's notes worth having to understand the overarching picture that we have here in chapter 13. The message of this chapter is twofold. First of all, the devil uses government to persecute the saints and deceive the ungodly. That's what we've already looked at. That's the Antichrist. But then the government or the state, the Antichrist, will authorize its religious and economic allies to persecute the saints and deceive the ungodly. That's where the false prophet is going to step in in conjunction with the Antichrist to get this worship of the devil to happen. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. See, that's a picture more localized, okay? The sea is global. Coming up out of the earth is more localized. Personally, I think it's very possible that it's, that it's the beast represents symbolic Leaders in nations, economic systems in nations, religious systems in nations that will rise up in a concerted effort to follow what this world dictator, this Antichrist says. I'm not sure it's just one Antichrist and one false prophet. I think it might be reflective of a concerted effort to bring the same thing about. It has two horns like a lamb. That represents false religion. We know about the lamb. We read about him in chapter 5, right? This is a picture of false religion. It's going to look godly. It's going to look really good. Some things will be done in the name of God. Some things might even be done in the name of Christianity on the front end. Remember how I told you a month or so ago about this movement called Chrislam? This desire to meld uh, Christianity and Islam together as if it's all, hey, it's all good. It's all the same, same God. No, it is not. It's not. And so don't ever fall for this. But I think that's part of the package that's going to be delivered here. You know, whatever you believe, as long as you believe, it's all kind of the same. It's all, it's all good. There's, it has two horns like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. It's filled with deceit, deception, lies, confusion to make them worship. Now, making them worship is not holding a gun to their head and saying you have to. It's just revealing what's already in their heart. They want no part of God. And so when the, when the Antichrist, the beast, comes along and says, this is who we worship, they're willing to go along with that. This so reminds me of the words that Jude wrote to us in the book of Jude. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about your common salvation, this is the point, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. There is going to be an attack against the word of God, against the truth of the word of God. Your job, my job in the day and age in which we live and whoever's around at the end, they have the same job. Contend earnestly. For the truth. Don't be deceived. Don't be confused. Know the truth. How am I going to know? You're going to be in the word. Here he goes again. You're going to be connected to the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be connected to the body of Christ. You want to survive today or that day? Those are the three things you have to have. Contend earnestly for the faith, once handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out. That's an interesting choice of word. Marked out. We're going to talk about a mark here in a minute. And it ain't a good mark. Mark of the beast. Marked out for this condemnation. Godly persons who turn the grace of, of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master, And Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, there's going to be this drift that happens among people, okay? I read that and I think, man, there's nothing new under the sun. It's going on, but it was going on. And one more time, just so there's no confusion in this whole thing. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon, exercised authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. That is his goal. This one, this second beast, will from here on be known as the false prophet. We'll see him again in chapter 16, 19, and 20. But he is out to capture religious loyalties. Worship the first beast. And the first beast goes, yes, worship me. But points it back ultimately to who? To Satan, the one whose heart's desire is to be worshipped. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. 
That's what the two witnesses did in chapter 11, didn't they, of of this book. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Now, I want to say something, church. There's, There's a movement within the church today that says we should dismiss all signs and wonders. All miracles of God, because look what happens here. Those things can be false, and you can be deceived by those things. It is absolute foolishness to say, because there will be false signs and wonders, that we should not be a people who believe in signs and wonders. Here's how that logic works, okay? If you want to go that route, then you probably would also be a person who would say, I don't want to have anything to do with money, because there's counterfeit money out there. If you feel that and believe that, would you please see me before you go home today? And I will relieve you of all your problems. Just give me all your money and you'll never have to worry again. You see how foolish that would be? Hey, there's counterfeit money. I don't want anything to do with money. Of course, there's going to be counterfeit signs and wonders. That does not make real signs and wonders illegitimate, false, or wrong. We need the power of God at work in this church today, folks. We just flat out do. All right. The second beast, this false prophet, deceives the dwellers of the earth, not the saints. Stay in the word, stay open to the Holy Spirit, stay in the church. They make this image of the first beast. I think this literally is an image, okay? It's not symbolic. They make something. They make an idol, which, by the way, violates the first two commandments of the Big Ten. No other gods, no idols, no images to be worshipped. They don't care about that. Their heart's for worship, so they're going to do whatever it takes to get worship. And it was given him, the false prophet, to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. I think that speaks to a literal image that will be made. The level of deception among the dwellers on the earth will be huge. You, I want to read this from a Christian perspective and go, Seriously? I don't care if this thing comes to life. You're going to worship that thing? But you know, I thought this week, how many people will travel all over the world on pilgrimage to come look at a statue of Mother Mary who appears to be weeping or or a statue of Jesus that appears to be bleeding or whatever other faith perspective it is. People have this thing in them that goes, I'm going to worship something. And so I thought, well, you know, that's not as impossible as it looks to me on the surface anyhow. This image, this idol proclaims, you don't worship, you'll be killed. Now, that does not say that everyone on the planet will be slain. It's, it's, it's a, a sentence of death for anyone caught who won't worship. But, folks, I think the church underground is going to flourish at this time. Just like in China, just like any other place where the church is illegal and there's punishment for following Christ, committed people go, I don't care. But this isn't saying everybody's going to uh, have that fate. Everybody's going to be killed. He causes all, the great, the small, the rich, the poor, the free, the slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. That speaks to the fact that there will be no exception to this among the dwellers of the earth. Rich, poor, free, slave, everybody's included. If you're a dweller on the earth, you're coming under this system. You will. You will. This mark on the right hand or on the forehead. Some scholars say, well, you know, so many other things in this book are symbolic. I think this is just symbolic. I don't. I think there's a clear distinction in in the words that are used here. This is not a guarantee. but, But back in earlier chapter, we talked about the seal of God being on his people's foreheads. And that's an invisible signal. That's the Greek word there for it. Sphragista. Sphragista. It's invisible. But when it talks about the mark of the beast, it's a totally different world. Word, rather. It's charagma. That doesn't sound anything like the first word. And literally, it's used to mean a brand like you put on an animal or an image that you're carved or the emperor's seal. And folks, that indicates possession. If I brand an animal, you'll all know what? It's mine. It's possession and it's loyalty. So I think it connotes something that will be seen, something that will be obvious. These people won't be able to buy or sell without that mark. You got to be able to see something for that system to work. It points to economic alliance to this beast and how temporal and short-sighted people are going to be. It's like Esau. He sold his birthright for a pot of porridge. 
There are going to be people in this world who go, hey, I'm hungry. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll worship you. Just feed me. Take care of me. Government taking care of people. That's a little more political than I intended to be at this moment in time. Um, it just can't, government should help, but it should never get to that point where it comes at that kind of cost, okay? This is a picture of totalitarian control, but again, there's an underground church that I think will thrive because it will be under God's divine protection and God's divine provision, and God can do that. Unless you have a small God with no power, he can do this. He will do this. All right, let's finish up. And here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. When John says, here is wisdom, he was speaking very clearly to his audience in that day. Wisdom means, here's how you properly apply the facts, okay? And I think John is saying in the context of this letter, this isn't the end, but this is who we're dealing with today. And I think it was a picture of the Roman emperor. But that same spirit that was working then continues to work through history and will work up again until the end. Now, let me say this to you. Don't waste time trying to calculate this number. You see, back then, they didn't have numbers. They had letters represent numbers. If I would say to you, M-M-X-I-I, you'd know that I was saying the year, this year, 2012, M-M-X-I-I. That's how it worked, okay? It was called gematria. You can make the letters in a name add up to 666 without any trouble. Over the course of the last 20 years, George W. Bush was the Antichrist. George Bush was the Antichrist. Barack Obama has been the Antichrist. Hitler was long ago. Nero, Caesar. Do not waste your time trying to figure out who is this. The bigger picture is 666 is symbolic of the number of man. 777, the perfect number, the number of God. And the message of this book is, don't come under man's system. Stay true to God. So as we wrap this whole thing up today, here's what I want you to get. The message of last week, chapter 12, was don't quit. We can't lose if we don't quit, right? Persevere, saints. Here's the message of chapter 13. Do not compromise. Don't be deceived. Practice discernment. That's what we need to do. And don't be afraid. Okay? Don't be afraid. This doesn't change the fact that we win. It just means there may be a little more struggle in this journey. But we win. Would you stand? I want to pray for you as we close today. Now, when we're done and after I pray for you, if you need prayer today, there'll be some folks who come forward who will be happy to pray with you. It doesn't have to have anything to do with the message today. I do want to say this, though. Sometimes this chapter puts a lot of fear in people. If you're struggling with that, be honest about it. Let somebody pray for you and help you get through that and over that, okay? We had some people, I asked for a service, and some people put their hands right up. Yeah, this makes me afraid. God bless you for being honest. You don't have to be afraid. So, Lord, I just ask today that you pour your spirit out upon your church. I pray, God, that you would fill your people with great grace, that we would have perseverance, that we not quit, even if it gets tough. That we will not quit. But we also, God, we need great, great discernment so we don't compromise. Lord, we in no way, shape, or form want to fall prey to any of the enemy's schemes in this. Now, Lord, I look around this room and I know there's nobody here who's going to take that mark. And there's nobody here that's going to get under that system. But, Lord, there's a lot of things short of that that would not be pleasing to you. And I pray that we have discernment and we can see what's going on every step of the way. We don't know if we're at the end, near the end, or a thousand years from the end. But everything we talked about today has principle to it, Lord, in the big picture. And we want to be a people who are faithful and who have great discernment. So please bless your church today with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, have a great week. Chapter 14 next week. Okay, be blessed.